This afternoon, we confess the canons of Dort, heads 3 and 4, articles 8 through 10. These are somewhat lengthy, so I'll read this for you. Article 8. Nevertheless, all who are called through the gospel are called seriously. For seriously and most genuinely, God makes known in his word what is pleasing to him, that those who are called should come to him. Seriously, he also promises rest for their souls and eternal life to all who come to him and believe. Article 9. The fact that many who are called through the ministry of the gospel do not come and are not brought to conversion must not be blamed on the gospel nor on Christ who is offered through the gospel nor on God who calls him through the gospel and even bestows various gifts on them but on the people themselves who are called. Some in self-assurance do not even entertain the word of life. Others do entertain it but do not take it to heart. And for that reason, after the fleeting joy of a temporary faith, they relapse. Others choke the seed of the word with the thorns of life's cares and with the pleasures of the world and bring forth no fruits. This our Savior teaches in the parable of the sower. Article 10. The fact that others who are called through the ministry of the gospel do come and brought to conversion must not be credited to man, as though one distinguishes himself by free choice from others who are furnished with equal or sufficient grace for faith and conversion, as a proud heresy of Pelagius maintains. No, it must be credited to God. Just as from eternity he chose his own in Christ, so within time he effectively calls them, grants them faith and repentance, and having rescued them from the dominion of darkness, brings them into the kingdom of his Son, in order that they may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called them out of the darkness into this marvelous light, and may boast not in themselves, but in the Lord, as apostolic words frequently testify in Scripture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider the earnest call and the serious call of the gospel, may our hearts be filled with uh, joy as we consider the fact that we believe not because of what we've done or who we are, but only because of what you've done, loving us first. Lord, as always, we pray that we would hear the gospel, uh, filling us with life, and the law convicting us of sin. In Christ's name, amen. This scripture lesson comes from the gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. That is found on page 839 of your pew Bibles. Once again, we hear God's word from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Hear God's word. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen! A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. 
and when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had, not, it had no root, it weathered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was done, I'm sorry, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. The word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends. This sermon is about the earnest call of the gospel or the sincere call of the gospel. And the context here is that the Arminian said, look, if you reform guys believe in the doctrine of reprobation, then how can you say the preaching of the gospel is sincere? In other words, well, remember that under predestination we have two categories. We have election, in which God chooses some, and we have reprobation, in which God passes over all the others. And there are many say, look, if you're preaching to all people, obviously you will preach to some reprobates, those who will never believe, no matter what, so how can you say that you're preaching the gospel to them honestly, sincerely? Well, in this section, the Reformed respond and say, oh, it is just uh, more sincere than you, you realize. You just don't understand the problem with mankind. So, uh, first, Article 8 uh, sets up the issue. Then Article 9 uh, argues why some don't believe and Article 10 argues why some do believe. So, in Article 8, essentially, we are responding to the Arminians saying, no, the gospel is very sincere, the scriptures say that it is. Or rather, the calling of the gospel is sincere. Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Or Luke 13. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. John 6.37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, 
And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And of course, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. All of these scriptures say that the word of the gospel goes out sincerely. It is a a sincere call to all people. What's important here to realize is that there is a distinction between what is hidden in God's decree, which says some are chosen, others are not chosen. That's hidden. Who knows what um, ultimately who the reprobate are. And there's this other issue um, of what we know from God's perspective. So we have to focus on the fact what we know from God's perspective. The fact that many will not believe because they are reprobates does not call into question the sincerity of the gospel. Rather, it calls forth a problem with man's decision in Adam. So really, the best way to understand this issue is to think about what the biblical story says. How, why was there a fall? How was there a fall? And how has that affected the way in which man hears the preaching of the gospel? So think of it this way. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism uh, picks, picks up on this logic. Question 6. Did God create man, therefore, wicked and perverse? Another way to state this question would be, is it God's fault that man doesn't believe? Well, what's the answer? No, but God created man good and after his own image. That is, in true righteousness and true holiness, that he might rightly know God as creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. So the answer is, no, it's not God's fault. Next question, question 7. From where then comes this depraved nature of man? If it's not God's fault, who is it? The answer is, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise, whereby our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. So whose fault is it that there's a sin? It's man's fault. Man in Adam. Therefore, God's call to believe goes, to, goes out sincerely to all who hear, despite who man is, even the reprobate. So the question then becomes, why don't all respond in faith today? Well, what does Article 9 say again? The fact that many who are called through the ministry of the gospel do not come and are not brought to conversion must not be blamed on the gospel, nor on Christ, who is offered through the gospel, nor on God, who calls them through the gospel, and even bestows various gifts on them, but on the people themselves who are called. Some in self-assurance do not even entertain the word of life. Others do entertain it, but do not take it to heart. And for that reason, after the fleeting joy of a temporary faith, they relapse. Others choke the seed of the word with the thorns of life's cares and with the pleasures of the world and bring forth no fruit. This our Savior teaches in the parable of the sower. So why don't people respond? The fault lies within them. And the parable of the sower, a fascinating parable, uh, goes a long way to describe this uh, for your understanding. Therefore, you must understand that the preaching of the gospel is consistent. It calls all people uh, to faith and repentance. The problem 
according to the parable of the sower is with the soil. But it's important to understand the context here and what Jesus is actually teaching. Uh, you wouldn't want to call it the parable of the soils. The focus is not on the soils. Rather, the parable uh, focuses on Christ, the sower. Well, here's the context. Uh, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. And he runs into tons of resistance from the Pharisees and from some of the crowd. But Jesus says, despite that resistance, despite that persecution, despite the fact that people don't want to hear this and follow Christ, does not uh, call into question the effectiveness of the kingdom. The kingdom will be effective. So we have uh, the parable of the sower in this passage. We have three sections, verses 1 through 9. Uh, Jesus tells a parable, verses 10 through 12. Jesus explains how the parable fulfills God's purposes. And then the rest of the section, verses 13 through 20, Jesus explains the parable. So here's the situation. The crowd has gotten so big around the Sea of Galilee that Jesus has to find a boat and float out from the shore to speak to all of these people. And Jesus doesn't need a microphone. His voice is strong enough, but he's, he's talking to all of these people, the thousands of people uh, from this small boat. So Jesus, at least, is very superficially popular. Now, the details of this parable are very important. You, when you first hear this, you think, what's wrong with the sower? He's sort of, sort of casting seed around in a careless manner. No, it's not. He is broadcasting the seed uh, in this manner so that it might be plowed. So what happens is that you sow first, and then you plow the, the uh, ground up. And it directs one to see that the act of sowing is central, not the types of soil. After all, one does not know the depths of the soil until one plows it up. So for instance, when the, the, uh, the seed is scattered on the path, um, it doesn't mean that the path will be plowed up with everything else. So you really don't know how far down the path goes. You just throw the seed everywhere and you plow it all up. And remember, they don't have paved roads at this time. People kind of take a trip through the field. So it's really sort of multifaceted uh, area, and the farmer goes out and throws seeds like this. Well, Jesus says there are four types of soils. First is the path on which the seed falls, and um, the problem with uh, this soil is that the birds come right along and pick up the seed. Secondly, you have the rocky soil. Uh, seeds come up, or the plants come up quickly, uh, but then the sun scorches them. Third, you have the soil that is producing all these thorns. Uh, the seed goes there, the plants come up, but they are choked by the thorns. And finally, you have the good soil, which produces this great yield. Now, in addition to all this, the context tells us that the kingdom of God is central. God and his kingdom, which is breaking into time and space through his Christ, is what this is all about. You have to keep that in perspective. And as one person says, what Jesus taught through the veiled means of the parable of the sower was the relationship between the coming of the kingdom in his own person and the proclamation and the delay of the end, the harvest that is the consummation. So sometimes you get caught up in the details, but the details are telling you about the kingdom of God, how it comes in the person of Christ, and then it's about the pro proclamation of the gospel and even what happens at the very end of time.
And so as we look at the second section, verses 10 through 12, we see that all of this is to fulfill the purposes of God in Christ. Again, the context is the persecution up to this point has been very intense. Now in these verses 10 through 12, Jesus makes it clear that the disciples will understand the mystery of the kingdom of the God, kingdom of God, and the rest will not. But this is nothing new. This should surprise no one. Whenever God has revealed himself to mankind, to the world, worldwide soil, as it were, there has been acceptance and a rejection of this. And the quotation from Isaiah 6 makes that very clear. For those whose hearts are hard, the revelation of God is a parable or an enigma. So the revelation, the word of God is clear, but not to those who are in unbelief. So notice, the word of God is a parable. It is a parable when Jesus speaks in parables, to be sure. But it remains a parable or an enigma to those in unbelief. That's very important. For those whose hearts are open to God's word, the mystery of the kingdom of God is revealed. But the mystery isn't some secret code. The mystery is locked up in the person, work, and words of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God, you see, is embodied in him. Therefore, when Jesus says in verse 11 that the secret or mystery of the kingdom of God is given to you. And for those outside, everything is given in parables. He is explaining how right now a revealing and veiling is taking place just like it always has, except now these things are happening in the sun. Verse 12, he is not giving the reason as to why he is speaking in parables. Rather, he is explaining from Isaiah that the kingdom of God is a parable. You must understand that. The kingdom of God to all people is a parable. It's not understandable because of unbelief. He's not denying those outside of belief. He is saying that they will not understand the kingdom of God as long as they don't believe. Therefore, Jesus speaks in parables to all. Beginning of the story, notice Jesus is speaking a parable to the entire crowd. But only those who care to know, that, that, that is those who believe, will understand. Those in unbelief will remain in unbelief, and the parables to them are parables and enigmas. And this hardens them more. That's the purpose of the Isaiah 6 passage. Isaiah's preaching hardened people. It wasn't that his preaching was hard to understand, outside that it is the kingdom of God he's preaching. It's that people didn't believe, they're hardened, and that's what happens here in Christ. This goes a long way in explaining the issue. Because again, the Arminians and others are saying, look, how can you say the uh, word of God uh, going out in his preaching is sincere when it goes to reprobates? Uh, that's God's business to know who the reprobates are or are not. The fact of the matter is, the kingdom of God and the preaching of the gospel is hard for anyone to understand. It means accepting your own sin, your own weakness, the holiness of God, and the way in which God works to overcome that sin through Christ. That's the kingdom of God. That's a parable to anyone. 
You need Jesus to understand, or rather you need Jesus to explain the parable. Otherwise, it will remain a parable. I mean, think of that. How many times have you explained the gospel to others, or that you've come into church, it's so clear, but they say, you know, I just don't get it. I don't understand. And you can just tell there's this, this, it's like a veil right there. It's like, what do you mean you don't understand? And my kid understands that. Well, it's not the issue. The issue is their sin and their unbelief. And as long as they don't believe, they will not understand it. So this leads us to um, the third section, the parable. We should explain this, Jesus' eyes, because after all, the, the others who care to believe in Jesus, or rather the disciples themselves, need an explanation, right? It's still a parable. But what do they do? They don't say, Jesus, I don't get it. See you later. They say, Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief, right? Uh, explain this, this, this parable to me. Explain the kingdom of God. And so the sower who sows the word, of course, is Jesus coming into time and space as a word speaking the revelation of God. And Jesus goes on to explain the various responses to this word. First, in verse 15, the word among the path is snatched up immediately. Not literally by birds, it's snatched up by Satan. And this represents persecution. Satan coming along, uh, uh, warring against those that would want to believe in the word. The second and the third situations go together. Uh, Verses 16 and 17, the word is in the rocky soil. A people that is fall away when persecution comes. Verses 18 and 19, the word among the thorns. The cares of the world, uh, this age, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things cause the word to be unfruitful. And what's fascinating to see here is what do we talk about when we talk about spiritual battle? We say we have three sworn enemies, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. So Jesus begins with the devil. He will war against people, snatching the word away from them. Uh, The world. The world with its cares and deceitfulness chokes the word. So somebody might hear and go, it sounds great, I love Christ in this gospel. But money... Riches of different sorts, a status, pride, whatever it is, snatches it away. Uh, I, people choose the superficial over the profound. And then, of course, the flesh. Uh, the love for the world, the love for these things, uh, snatches the word away and kills it. And this is a common situation, not only in Jesus' time, but the latter days as well. It's a warning to all people. That these things war against Christians, war against everyone. Then, of course, the fourth situation in which the word is received results in a bumper crop of fruit. So kids not literally fruit, right? These are the people who know their plight of sin and trust in Christ. The idea of multiplication points to the very end at the time of the consummation. In the end, you will be astounded to see all these people from every nation, from every tongue, tribe, uh, confessing Christ. And say, wow, I never knew there were all these people. It's a huge harvest. But Jesus talks about that right here. Don't be discouraged by those who deny the faith, who fall away or whatever. Know that the word produces. It will produce a bumper crop 
that is happening now in our time, it will be seen clearly in the end. So it leads us to, uh, finally, Article 10. That there will be this bumper crop, and it's not due to anything in man but God. So Article 10, again, the fact that others who are called through the ministry of the gospel do come, or brought to conversion, must not be credited to man. But it goes on to say, it's God. It's God, one calling people. It's one who, uh, who, who uh, chose people in the first place through the doctrine of election. And the one who brings people to regeneration and conversion by the power of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the word. Then the article expands upon the reality we find ourselves in. We are under, naturally, the power of darkness. The kingdom of God is a mystery to all until God sends his word forth, which is made powerful through the Spirit. So it says, when this happens, you are translated uh, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his own Son. And the end of this cosmic transfer is for God's glory. So in conclusion, brothers and sisters, it's very clear Uh, that reprobation is a hidden decree of God. We don't know who the reprobate are with any certainty. But nonetheless, even though they hear the word and reject it, it has nothing to do with the power of God's word, rather has everything to do with their rejection of the gospel. So it leads us to conclude that the power is in God's word and it is a sincere call to all. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.